This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello, welcome to episode 64 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan, and I'm joined tonight by David and Brady. Coming at you this week with a little bit of a state, not southern game recap. Panthers emerged victorious at the end of the game, 30-24 to over the visiting Georgia Southern Eagles, which makes the all-time series between state and southern in favor of the Panthers at 4-3. and A game went down like this after an early 3-0 Georgia State lead. Southern scored on two straight drives in the second quarter to take a 14-3 lead. Panthers' defense stood tall on two occasions in plus territory after that, keeping the Eagles off the board, and the offense added a field goal and touchdown to cut it to 14-13 at the break. Southern would kick a field goal on the opening drive of the third quarter and held a 17-13 lead until Quad Brown's first interception of the day by Kendrick Duncan set them up at the Georgia State 37. Logan Wright got his second touchdown of the day, and it was 24-13 Eagles with 14-56 left. Panthers immediately answered back and cut the deficit to 24-19 after a four-yard Destin Coates touchdown. After a Georgia Southern drive ended in a missed Alex Raynor field goal, State drove 10 plays, 69 yards to take the lead on a one-yard quad brown quarterback sneak and extended it to 27-24 on a made two-point conversion. Jordan Strawn got a strip sack of Justin Tomlin and Blake Carroll recovered. Noel Ruiz added a field goal at the end of that possession to make it 30-24. And with no timeouts and a minute 53 left to go, Southern had to drive the length of the field for a game-winning touchdown. But Quay White brought in a game-clinching interception, and the comeback was complete. Georgia State wins 30-24. Gentlemen, what did you see in this game? That win always is a... It feels good. Um, also, again, you know, we said it last week. Coach Elliott mentioned it in his post-game remarks. Uh, Thank you, Chad Lunsford, for letting it be a rivalry. Thank you again. We we appreciate that. Thanks for allowing us to be here. It's just so nice when people let us do things. It was a weird game for me. Uh, it was kind of a throwback to the Trent Miles era uh, in some general ways and in one specific way where this game was just downright eerie the same at the end as the 2016 game between Georgia State and Georgia Southern. I mean, what can you say at this point? Uh, after losing it late against App State, both weeks, this team has turned it on in the second half and closed out strong. And that's something that even in the good years uh, under Coach Elliott, it's been something that people have been looking for for the next step is there's been cl- trouble closing games. And we've seen it this year against Arkansas state against app state and feels like that they've kind of learned how to, and that will just pay dividends for the program taking the next step. But it really felt like at the end that it was said, well, once Georgia state took the lead, I was just sitting there thinking like, I really don't see how Southern's going to go down and score here, especially when it was Justin Tomlin, who's in a quarterback and they got two shots at it. Uh, the first one ended with the strip sack by Strawn. The second one ended with the interception by white, probably one of the easier interceptions he's going to have in his career, but the offense got tested because they haven't ever been stuffed on the run like that and still managed to put together the type of offensive day they had. And I think a lot of that comes down to quad Brown just having a terrific day. And uh, the one interception aside, second straight week, he had 
career passing yard total and really just emblemize that he's really taken a real step and he's going to be a force in the Sun Belt as he continues to grow. Yeah, all those points were really good. Um, I guess I can say that the game kind of felt a little different to me, um, both in watching it live and watching it, you know, afterwards. Um, I, you know, even when they were struggling to move the ball at times, and there were times where Georgia State didn't really move the ball well, um, it just never felt like they were out of the game. You know, they went down by 11, I, I believe, twice. And, you know, each time it was just like, okay, Southern's not really doing a ton. You know, they had the, a couple of big plays, you know, that backup running back Logan, Wright. You know, he actually did really well for them. Um, and given, you know, kind of his increased playing time, given the circumstances, like truthfully hats off to him. Cause that couldn't have been easy. Um, but outside of him, it just didn't feel like Southern was really ready to just, you know, bulldoze over the lead and you know if you told me coming in to the game that georgia state would have fewer rushing yards against georgia southern than they did against coastal carolina i would have said okay how badly did georgia southern beat georgia state but you know as you said the growth of quad brown the last couple of weeks should have every single georgia state football fan incredibly excited you know the announcers said it during the game, but if you include the second half of the South Alabama game and the first half of um, the Georgia Southern game, you know, that's a 400 yard passing quarterback per game, you know, like those don't just grow on trees. Yes. Obviously, you know, he threw another interception. Yes. He lost the fumble, but I can't personally say that either of those were completely his fault on the fumble. He was flushed. Um, I believe it was Bartlett on the right side. Um, just, you know, he got beat and he, the Southern defensive end just got to quad. And as he was throwing forward, you know, the fumble happens. You'd love for him to take care of the ball there, but whatever. Um, and then on the interception, the pocket broke down. He kind of rushed to his right and thought that he had Cornelius uh, McCoy um, down the sideline. Nobody's going to make the throw that he attempted to make. So, you know, a young quarterback is going to make that mistake, but as he gets, you know, more seasoned and, you know, matures, he's going to realize that he, a, a throw away there achieves what he wants to achieve. Um, but just the poise of quad to, you know, sit there and say, all right, they're, they're stopping the run. I have to be the one to win this game and just find guys open. And, you know, he basically did that once they started, you know, getting things going, he did that for the entire rest of the game. Yeah. Uh, to the point on poise, obviously it was, it was a rough interception and I'll give a, you know, I it's a throwaway there. It's got to be a throwaway. And that's just the thing you learn as you continue to get snaps. But fourth quarter, when it counted after that interception, his first playing time after throwing that bad pick, he went eight for nine, 126 yards. Uh, he got the rushing touchdown. I didn't throw for any touchdown um, in the second half, but really accurate in the second half. And it just felt like they got their rhythm going and, and it, that wasn't happening in the middle part of the game. Uh, but by the end, it was just, it just felt like the offense peaked at the right time. Um, but switching back to the first half, because it really never felt like it got out of hand, like you said, but it could have when George state went down 14, three, 
the fumble happened and Georgia Southern recovered in plus territory. And at that point, the defense got a stop, kept Southern out of a field goal range and they had to punt. And then the next drive, the first play Southern was backed up on the next drive, but unloaded 44 yard pass on the first play. And again, they were about where they were starting on the drive after they got the fumble, they stalled out. They had to settle for a long field goal, which they didn't make. And then state got the ball back before the half and quad hit Cornelius for the 45 yard score. And it was a one point game and it could have been 21, three, 21-6. It could have been any number of lopsided scores. And I think if that happens going into the half, it's a little trickier for that belief to continue to trickle through. But it was a one-point game at the half. And from that point, the only time it got back to double digits, there was still all but four seconds of the fourth quarter to go. And so it was never a situation where there was any doubt that there was time left for the comeback to happen. I feel like is now the time to, you know, talk some defense if we want to talk about them stopping Southern in field goal territory. Um, you know, I, I kind of joke with that, but I, you look at the defensive performance from Saturday and you see the 24 points and you realize Georgia Southern played their game pretty much to a T you know, where they got the spark big plays and they had the good running and offensive line play was excellent for them. And, you know, it still felt like the Georgia state defense was up to the task and, you know, capable of playing a good game. And I mean, it's not, it wasn't the sexiest in terms of the numbers, you know, they gave up 296 yards on the ground and normally they are around the one Oh eight mark. You know, it's, it's one of the better defenses in the conference. Um, but at the same time, though, they did exactly what you're supposed to do against an option team. You know, the big pop passes will happen, but, you know, they were few and far between. And then once Shy Wirtz went down, they didn't allow the backup or anybody else to really get going. And, you know, that was all she wrote pretty much. Yeah. And I guess we can take this point. We both agree on this, I know, but uh, I'll just mention that, you know, lots of respect for Shy Wirtz. He obviously was battling a lot. He kept having to go in and out with injury and, he hit on that 44-yard throw, missed field goal, and had to leave the game because I think his arm or his shoulder or whatever was just killing him because he was battling out there. Um, he he really was doing a lot to try and get his team to win, and mad respect for that. Uh, heck of a player, heck of a competitor, and I guess the other side of the coin there is when he was not able to play, especially late, it just, it felt like a situation where Georgia state was in good position. And I guess this is where I'll turn to the 2016 comparison. So the 2016 game actually had the exact same final score. It was at the Georgia dome. It was the last time that these two teams played at the Georgia dome. It ended 30, 24 state and the end played out the exact same way. Georgia Southern had no timeouts in that game and had to travel I think upwards of 90 yards with no timeouts a little over a minute to go. And in this game, they had to travel most of the field with no timeouts. And I think 153 to go. And it just felt like one of those things where the defense was just down and it wasn't going to happen. Uh, so I was very, very, uh, I guess it, it was weird for me sitting there being like, I've watched this game before I've seen this. <laughs> 
the, the start of the game was not at all similar. Georgia State started out with a 20 nothing lead in that game, and then Southern climbed went back into it. But just right at the end, it was like, I've watched this before. Are we going to go back through our greatest hits of the so-called rivalry? Because we definitely can do that. Maybe not today, but... Um, that is something that we could uh, we could go back and discuss maybe for an off-season pod if you guys like. Absolutely. And then uh, less uh, history lesson and more just what happened on the game on Saturday. Georgia Southern had to kick those... One was 52, the other was 48. And... Georgia State, I, obviously you don't want to stall out drives without getting touchdown. You want to get touchdowns. You don't want to settle for field goals. But each of the times the Georgia kick a field goal, they were in really makeable range and Ruiz hit all three of them. They did finish drives enough to put their kicker in a good enough position. And so he had to attempt two pretty tough field goals and didn't make either of them. And... I think that that is a notable thing given how the game played out that it's just, the big plays happened. Wright had those two runs words had the one big throw downfield, but they couldn't put drives together, but for their first touchdown drive and that hurt them late in the game because they came up empty on a couple of drives where they even got into Georgia state territory and to, you know, Georgia state, had real lapses in the game where they were not able to put much together. But when they got into Georgia Southern territory, they didn't stall out in a no man's land. They got at least into field goal range or they got into the end zone. And I, I guess, you know, I can use this moment to shout out Noel Ruiz, um, who he definitely had a good season. Uh, I can say that in college, you don't really want to, talk about the special teams because usually it's a bad thing, but I can't remember a single time where Noel Ruiz was asked to make a makeable field goal this year. Um, and he missed it or, you know, and I mean, he hit some pretty long ones this year as well. I think all of his misses were 45 and higher. So definitely shout out to Noel Ruiz who, you know, was awarded with the Sunbelt special teams player of the week for his play again on Saturday. Yeah. I, I think exactly what fans wanted to see when they heard grad transfer kicker was coming in, especially with losing the guy who'd been had the job for a few years. I think there were some worries about maybe a step back. And we talked about that some when we were previewing the special teams is that he's, he's a ringer. He's coming in with, they're asking him just to make kicks. And he really did that. And it was really important Saturday. Uh, the field goal to cut to 14, six. I mean, it wasn't, easy enough field goal for a college kicker, but it was important to get that given that stalling out there and not being able to put up any points and it's staying a 14, three game would have, uh, would have been a real downer. And then the one at the end was not insignificant. Uh, I still didn't think Tomlin, if he was going to have to be the one to put the drive, he was going to lead a game tying drive, but making it a 30 to 24 game and making it to where they had to find the end zone on the last drive changed the calculus for how they were going to have to approach it. If they just needed a field goal, they just would have needed one big pass play to connect down into field goal range. And then they could force it to overtime. So special teams in a lot of ways was the difference. And it was a positive for Georgia state and against a team that I think has a good special teams unit, usually in Georgia Southern, that's a notable thing. You won in the special team, good special teams team. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, all of the kickoff coverages and the punt coverages, Georgia State really did a good job of building up the Southern return men who all decided that they really fancied themselves as Devin Hester, um, which, hey, that's fine. But uh, Georgia State did a really good job. I believe it was Caleb Hood who took the ball out a lot. Um, but Georgia State did a really good job, you know, bottling up the Southern return men. So, I mean, those flipping the field, like those types of things. It's those little things that I feel like Georgia state has done really well this season that it showed on Saturday. So yeah, bottom line rivalry wins are good. And while we wait for any bowl news, the first bullet point is that it back-to-back regular seasons with a winning record. And Obviously, the season played out in a very different way than a lot of people would have expected at the end of last season. I mean, with the COVID and everything, with games going off the schedule, only playing nine games, definitely didn't play out like any of us thought it might. But progress is progress. And every time Georgia State's gone to a bowl, the next year has been a disappointing season. And while there were definitely wins left on the schedule and games that could have gone another way, success in far as keeping that winning momentum going and you've got two straight winning seasons going into 2021 and going to be still underclassman quarterback who's showing all the potential in the world to be a really good player and we'll see how all the eligibility stuff plays out and who returns even as seniors just because the extra year with COVID we're not really sure how that's going to play out but even with any of the losses you might have with the seniors, a lot of good players are coming back on this team. And now they've tasted winning two years in a row. And so it sort of feels like the blueprints coming together in a lot of ways. So we don't have anything obviously to talk about as far as official bowl announcements, because those haven't come yet, but we at Thursday night, we're feeling pretty good about the chances that Georgia state is going to be in a bowl, nothing official yet, but just as of now, there are only five teams in the Sunbelt conference who have a 500 or better record. And there's five bowl slots for the Sunbelt. So as of now, coastal app state, Georgia, Southern Georgia state and Louisiana are the bowl teams. And Troy is the only play their way into that. But it seems as though the conference is going to use the conference standings for their determinations of who they're going to pick up for bowl games. And Georgia state will at worst provided Troy doesn't pull the upset of upsets and goes and beats coastal at worst Georgia state will be level with Troy and they'll have the tiebreaker from having beaten them. And I mean, I'll just say if it's obviously Georgia state, podcast so you can say that we're homers for saying this or not but if georgia state who beat troy and will have a better winning percentage than troy if georgia state doesn't go to a bowl and troy does that's bad (laughs) really bad and the thing is is that troy might have six wins and that might be a factor that's obviously normal years the factor that matters most for bowl eligibility. You have to have six wins to go to a bowl, but they've waived that this year. And almost exactly for this reason is because not everyone was going to end up being able to play enough games to get to six. And 
Troy and Georgia State is just that Troy was able to play their FCS game and won it. And Georgia State was not able to play their FCS game because uh, Murray State's conference moved to the spring to play football. Then, I mean, that, that just isn't the fair way to determine who goes to a bowl or not. And Troy getting to that isn't a, a, uh, a certainty. They still have to both South Alabama and ULM. The other factor with this is that the bowls that are at the beginning of the schedule have to start picking teams. So teams know where they're traveling and that they know that they have teams that are coming to this bowl game and Troy still has three games left and Georgia state's done. So I think another factor in this is you might see some of these announcements start to come down. They're still having to wait on Troy. They couldn't pick Troy. Troy still has to get to, you know, the winning record, whatever they're determining is the important thing. So still nothing on this. Obviously now that we've talked about bowls, there's going to be announcement soon as this pod drops. But bottom line is I think you should feel pretty confident. Georgia state will get a chance to play in a bowl game. And it would absolutely be deserving. This group, absolutely deserves to play in the postseason game, you know, given everything that was going on and just given how they, you know, handled themselves throughout the season. Like they definitely are worth putting in a bowl, you know, regardless of where Troy lands or anything like that. So I guess just to put a wrap on football, now that we're through this, the regular season, just what are your thoughts on where we are? This progressed. I feel like my thoughts are twofold. Um, I think that the season went both a little bit better than I expected it to go. Um, and then I also think that Georgia state, given how they played this year, probably should have had a better record than they did. Um, you know, I, I've seen some people around the college football sphere kind of mention Georgia state as, okay, that Sunbelt team right there. You know, they had that win against Tennessee last year and they were in a lot of games except for the coastal games. So like, you know, that might be something to watch. And if you, you know, we obviously watched all of the games this year, but truthfully, every single game that Georgia state played in this year was just a coin flip, you know, and that, you know, I, I don't want to say that to take away from Louisiana or App State, um, you know, but the Arkansas State game, you know, if the defense makes two plays, that's probably a win. The Louisiana game, the defense makes one play. That's probably a win. You know, they got the one play against Georgia Southern, you know, and I, I don't want to say that that win was lucky, if you will. But we've seen, you know, the the saber metrics, if you want to say them for this Georgia state team and how sometimes the underlying numbers paints a picture of a better team than what the actual record is, you know? So if you're a Panther fan and you say "Mm, five wins was good, but I feel like Georgia state could have had a couple more wins. I can't hate you for that. I agree. I definitely think that Georgia state given just based on how they played in a lot of the games this year, they probably could have and should have had more wins than they did. But I also want to kind of preface that with they had to completely change their guy at quarterback, which, yes, the offense is the same, 
in theory, but you know, going from Dan Ellington to Quad Brown, even if their styles are similar, it's you know, it's a different guy, a different leader, a different team. You know, the nucleus is different, so obviously there's going to be some questions there. You know, there's Quad's youth that obviously was a factor, and we've talked about that. You know, you lose a guy like Trey Barnett, and so a guy like Destin Coates has to now be you know that running back one. You know, and everybody behind him kind of elevates their status as well um you know you have a defense that has a lot of talent and experience but maybe coming into the year you didn't know how well they gelled together and how that chemistry would go you know and so i i can't help but think that this was an incredibly successful season for georgia state and one that they still could have reached higher you know levels than they did and i feel the exact same way about last year but for a different reason you know yeah, I think, like I said, the, the the first bullet point, winning season, second year in a row, third in four seasons that Coach Elliott's been here, you can see it's starting to form. I think the the thing for 2021 is that now that we've seen these closeouts and we've seen over the final four games, really, the defense really take a step up, the expectation, it's fair to say, is season to where okay don't have a game like arkansas state where you're just give a 59 and it's a rough game i think that with the offense you've seen all the good from quad and you can say okay maybe clean up some of the interceptions and all that and let's see a little bit more christmas on the offensive side and clean up the turnovers and i think that the East is always going to be a little open to a degree, I think, because there's a lot of good teams in the East. I, I want to say open. I, I mean, just that there's going to be a lot of good teams. And so who might be at the top might be different, but there really isn't anyone out of it in the Sunbelt East. Whereas as of the divisions forming, the West has been kind of Louisiana's thing the entire time. So it doesn't get any easier, but the way that the season has ended, excluding whatever possible bowl game is to come, can only be encouraging. You you know, you obviously you don't want a repeat of last year's bowl experience, you know, but how lovely would it be for Georgia State to get a bowl, you know, beat the snot out of some unsuspecting team and use that and, you know, go be the 2021 version of Sun, the Sunbelt's Coastal or something like that. You know, like these things are all really good experiences for teams that have some youth that, you know, need that experience to kind of grow and truthfully take that next step. Because, you know, we talk about Georgia State, you know, kind of turning a corner, but, you know, are they ready to take that next step? You know, that's something that we're still looking for and that that is, you know, the next thing for them in their progression. Yeah. I think if we're obviously they're going to play more than nine games next year, we hope, but if we're here wrapping up the 2021 season and it's a lot of similar, like this is how it played out. That won't necessarily be as much of a progress thing. That'll be a, okay. Maybe there is a little bit of plateauing happening, but 21 can happen when 21 happens. And given that I think success breeds success, I think that there's no reason to think that that next step can't be around the corner, given that you're not losing a ton of contributors and that you've got a young quarterback who could be that dynamic 
guy for you that wins you games? Yeah, I mean, we'll see. Well, there's there's so much to do and so much that needs to go in for next year to be successful. But you know, I personally am excited. I think Georgia State is they're they're there. They're they're getting there. So let's move on to some basketball discussion. The Panthers hosted the Tacoa Falls Screaming Eagles in the sports arena on Friday night. Uh, that was an easy 105 to 60 win over Tacoa Falls. Then, of course, uh, traveled down to Macon to play the Mercer Bears, who defeated Georgia Tech on Friday after Georgia State, of course, defeated Georgia Tech in four overtimes. That game at Mercer ended up being an 86-69 loss for the Panthers. Panthers now 2-1 on the season early on. Gentlemen? It would have just been great for the pod as far as just this week. If you could go in right from a Georgia Southern win to a win over Mercer, a game we were looking forward to, didn't really play out the way Georgia State fans were hoping. Yeah, I, you know, I obviously don't know how well Mercer is going to do in the SoCon. Um, evidently, they've got a team this year. Um, and I don't say that to put them down. You know, they last year they were kind of okay, but they had been building a decent team for a while now. Um, so, the, you know, it shouldn't come as a surprise if they're, you know, contending in that conference. I think as you know, kind of, as you say, it would have been nice if Georgia State had come away with the win. But if Mercer ends up where we kind of think they will now, it's not going to be a bad loss for Georgia State. It's not going to be like Prairie View or something like that from a few years ago. Um, you know, we talk about Georgia State being the best team in the state. And it's it's a good thing that Georgia State and Mercer will play at the sports arena on December 16th um, because just, you know, they lost but I don't think that you can change anyone's mind about where Georgia state is in relation to the other programs in the school, in the state. Um, you know, maybe there was some tired legs after the four overtimes and the, you know, beat down of Tacoa falls. Um, Mercer's also a good team. If they still look bad on the 16th, you know, maybe we can take something away from that, but it happens, you know, get your rest and hopefully they're good on Friday against Charlotte. Yeah, it just it was a game where Mercer was getting the look, hitting shots, and it just seemed like Georgia State was just not getting in that rhythm offensively. They were a lot of the times taking the first time, you know, first time a guy got open, shot was going up, and might not have been an off, maybe the best look that a full running offensive sets could have gotten you. And then there were other times where it was just like guy drives into traffic, puts up a contested shot, maybe tries to get foul, doesn't get called. And then it's just a, a bad shot. And the other thing that was happening, I think, especially in when Mercer went on their run near the end of the first half was that Georgia state was running their tempo offense and really going fast. And Mercer was ready for it. And we're really getting out in transition. Well, uh, there were a couple of times where just it was a one guy passed all the way up to the other side of the court guy all alone for a layup. And so I don't know whether that was good game planning by Mercer or just the ball bouncing a weird way and it's just setting them up well for transition. But that is the the pitfall when you run as fast as Georgia State wants to do 
And I think that the tempo is going to win them more games than it's going to lose them games because there's a lot of teams that can't keep up for it, keep up with it. But Mercer was ready for it. And just end today, they were the ones making shots, getting good looks on offense, and that's how it went. And I mean, you know, we can sit here and talk about you know, kind of Kane's performance and we can talk about how the team around him didn't really do a ton. If you watch that game, that was not a a 17 point, you know, a 17 point game. It truthfully did just get kind of away from Georgia state at the end there. Um, I think if it was closer than 12 with like three, four minutes left, you know, the comeback, if you will, the fake rally or whatever, probably goes a little bit better. Um, but it was okay that Georgia state kind of pulled up. Everybody was struggling. You know, they were five of 18 from downtown after shooting really well um, against Tacoa falls and not so great against Georgia tech. Um, but they were decent for most of the game at the free throw line. And at the end of the day, that game was just a lot about Mercer just hitting their shots. Like you said, so you can only be so mad about that. Yeah, it does have the asterisk given that Georgia State gets the second shot at Mercer later this month. And I guess my larger takes on that this game will have to wait until that game. But obviously, like to be 3-0 instead of 2-1 and at this point. Go on the road. I believe this is the last non-conference road game just because of how the season is working out uh, against Charlotte. Chance to go to 3-1, and get right ahead of that Mercer rematch. That and the time off, I think will be really good for the players. Yeah. Obviously the fatigue wasn't there against Tacoa falls, but I guess the competition level wasn't either. So there was a trade-off. You can only take so much away from the Tacoa falls win, but three games in think five days that can add up. And it seemed like it did. So before we move on and talk about uh, the game at Charlotte, I want to think back to early podcast episodes where we had a segment called the 2-3 matchup zone, where we kind of previewed the matchup and gave keys for both teams as to how they would uh, perform well in the upcoming game. Of course, when Ron Hunter left, the basketball team changed the scheme to man defense under Rob Lanier, and we couldn't roll with that name anymore. So we decided to bring out a replacement segment called Tools of the Game, and we'll be using this segment each week to provide a look into the upcoming basketball games. Tools of the Game is brought to you by Crawford Tool. The folks at Crawford Tool have been Panther Athletic Club members and football season ticket holders since 2010, and now Thursday Night Podcast listeners can enjoy 10% off Crawford Tool's entire catalog of quality hand tools, toolkits, and supplies with code THURS at checkout. That's code THURS, T-H-E-R-S. Thursday night does get a percentage of all eligible purchases, so if you want to pick up some great tools at even better prices and help support our efforts along the way, visit www.crawfordtool.com and use code THURS at checkout. Thanks, Crawford Tool, for supporting the podcast. So I alluded to my tool of the game a little bit in what I was talking about with the Mercer loss. First thing you got to do is just get into running a little more of your offense. Stop having it be... Guy goes on dribble drive, tries to get to the rim by himself. Georgia State's got a fair amount of good spot-up shooters and catch-and-shoot shooters, even without Nelson Phillips this year. And I think after this last game, we continue to see that Evan Johnson, as a freshman, is already one of those guys. So I think that if you 
motion going, if you've got some passing going, you can find a guy in the corner. You can get better looks than Georgia State was settling for, I think, against Mercer. Some semblance of that offensive flow going will be really important because I think this offense is at its best when guys are passing and giving up good looks for great looks or giving up not good looks for great looks, you know? So I think that's what I'm going to be looking for most in this game is just getting a better offensive, the offensive process, get the offensive process going better. Cause I think that will lead to the offensive results. Yeah. Definitely ball movement is a big thing for Georgia state. Um, you know, I'll kind of keep it simple. Uh, I think definitely some time at the free throw line is going to help Georgia state. Um, you know, this is a team that when they're playing that high tempo, you know, when they're not all shooting threes, they're attacking the basket relentlessly. And, you know, it's great that they want to get other teams in foul trouble. Um, you know, Mercer actually had, I believe a couple of players foul outs. Um, but if, if you're not hitting your free throws, it just, it's not going to matter. Um, you know, I think what kept Georgia tech in that game on, you know, last a week ago was the, they're just, they were relentless at the free throw line after a while. And if Georgia state is going to be, you know, as attack happy as they want to be, they're just going to have to be a much better free throw shooting team. Yeah. Uh, just the numbers there before we move on, it's just, it's 58% as a team right now. And that's with Justin Roberts being 11 of 12 for 92%. So I don't want to do the math on that to take out his numbers. Cause the, it'd be a really ugly number. And I don't like ugly numbers like that, but fact of the matter is Georgia State's getting attempts at the line, but they're just not making them. It's, you know, it's, it's obviously it looks bad right now because Kane has 15 missed free throws of the 36 that Georgia state has missed. Um, but you know, it's not just on him. Obviously he takes a higher percentage of shots than other people. So that's, you know, how math works, but you know, there are a lot of guys who probably should use some time, just take some time and, you know, get working on that. And I, I, you know, I, I don't want to sound too harsh. Obviously I know that, you know, these guys are good athletes and they work on it, but you know, it's, it's definitely a weird year. Correct. It has been a weird year, you know, but it's definitely something that will continue to need work and continue to want to see improvements as the season goes on. All right. So let's move on to questions. Uh, first up this week, we have Carlos who asks, what do you think will be more improved for the football team next season? I think that's a tough one. Um, more improved. Actually, no, that's not true. That's probably a pretty easy one. I think ball security is definitely something that coach Elliott is going to look the team in the face over the off season and say, all right, guys, this is something that we need to improve on. Um, you know, a lot of the, close nature for Georgia state in the games that they played this year just came down to, you know, issues with turning over the football, you know, that Troy game isn't close. If Destin doesn't fumble at the end there, um, the app state game, Tucker Greg had a fumble, you know, how many times have we seen quad throw interceptions, you know, and you'll have some games like the ECU game where the first plays a pick six and the 
team still drops like 40 some odd points, you know, but you'll also have games where the turnovers are what sink you because you just gave the other team, you know, an opportunity. Not everybody's going to be like South Alabama where you can have four turnovers and a half and it not really matter. Um, so definitely ball security is going to be the big off season focus. I have a sneaky suspicion. Yeah. Stole my answer right from me. Curses. Um, yeah, I, you led the Sun Belt with takeaways tied with Louisiana with 18 and had a negative turnover differential. So that's not sustainable for the success and the goals that we were talking about in the football segment earlier. So definitely that's where I'm, my head is at with that question as well. All right. Next question is from Sam who asks, are you more excited for the next three years of football or basketball at Georgia state? And why? Excellent question from Sam. Yeah, so excellent. I've really gone down to the wire and gone back and forth with this one, and I might still be conferring in my head while I'm stalling for time right now. I think that my answer will be football, and my answer is football because nothing. I'm excited for both. I think the directory is positive for both programs, but I think football still has a chance to do some really big firsts that they haven't done as a program yet. They still have a chance to, you know, have that first East title or first Sunbelt title first 10 win season, you know, all of those things. And given the trajectory, I think it's likely at least it's possible. I think it's likely given how things have been going, that that happens. And the basketball success and I think that football can reach a higher peak from where they were than what basketball can do. And now I think that basketball can make the tournament in all three years and play tough in the first round and get an upset. Uh, that's not to say, I don't think that they can do that. I just think that just as far as where they have been versus where they're going, that's why I would say I'm more excited about football because I think they can do more of what they haven't done yet. I kind of want to give a cop-out answer, but I'll hopefully explain it to where it makes sense. Um, Because I agree. Um, I do want to say football. And the reason I want to say football is because given if, if everything turns up roses for Georgia state, the, the peak for both of those teams, I think is higher for football and it has much more to do with the Georgia state football team being able to control that peak. Whereas I don't think the Georgia state basketball team can control that peak. And here's what I mean by that. You know, we kind of talked about it a year ago and obviously with COVID it's definitely not anywhere near the horizon, but with the new convocation center coming up, it is very possible that other conferences are going to look at Georgia state and ask about them, you know, take that with whatever you want to. And I, but I, I personally believe that Georgia state basketball in order to be at its ceiling does not belong in the Sun Belt. It's just, you know, that's that is just my personal belief. The best situation for Georgia State basketball is not being in the conference that they are currently in. And that's not going to happen in the next three years. You know, even if Georgia State makes a final four in the next three years, it's just not it's not going to happen realistically speaking. Um, Whereas I personally think if on December 19th of this year, it was Georgia state hosting Louisiana for a chance at the Sunbelt title, you know, 
removing COVID, Center Park Stadium is full. Atlanta on that side, you know, the Summerhill area is buzzing with anticipation that this 11-year-old football program is finally able to say, all right, we're fighting for that championship that we've been looking for, the reason why we play football. And for me personally, I think that's a bigger moment for them and for the university than having a Georgia state basketball team, you know, be regular season champions as they have been recently and go to the NCAA tournament, you know, and that's not to say that that wouldn't provide, you know, excitement or joy, you know, but you know, how many times have they been to the NCAA tournament in the last five, 10 years, three times, you know, they had the upset over Baylor, you know, they had two other appearances that didn't go as as well as that first appearance, but you know, the basketball team has been there, whereas it hasn't been there for the football team. And I think that just kind of forces that to be the answer through no fault of anybody on the basketball team or the basketball kind of ecosystem itself. The sound you hear is David getting spoiled by the men's basketball program. Oh, absolutely. They're going to like rattle off a 25 win season in this weird COVID time and make it to the sweet 16 or something just because I said that. Well, hey, if that's what happens, then I will gladly take that. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to complete the three Pete and going to say it's going to be football for me as well. And like David was saying, the ceiling for uh, basketball in the Sun Belt more or less I won't necessarily has been reached definitively, but you can tell like if you come into the league and you're one out of the colonial and you win the league, then uh, I think that's pretty much all you had to say at that point. But uh, like David said, the convocation center is going to be a catalyst, hopefully for some bigger leagues to come calling. And even though football has made some tremendous strides, you've had a lot of improvement in a lot of areas. The average student at Georgia state, the average Atlanta person isn't thinking about going to a Georgia State game. They're not thinking that it is a positive and worthwhile experience beyond the hardcore people. And that is a perception that's really not going to change unless football just has that sustained success year in and year out. And uh, so I think football can get there in the next three years in a much bigger way than basketball can. So, yeah, we're uh, at least the three of us are united. Football, we think, is going to be or we're going to be more See, excited but, for football rather. But we didn't really say the same answer. So it were, it was three of the same answer, but different reasons. Subtly. It worked. Good yeah. team. <laughs> the hive mind hasn't completely uh, formed yet. That that might be year four or five of the Thursday night podcast. But anyway, we got time for one more question this week. And that is from Mike who wants to know, did you stay awake until the end of the game at Georgia tech? And was it not the perfect way to start Thanksgiving morning? Yes, Mike, we did. All four of us. And uh, I, I got to admit, uh, end of regulation, I was like, please don't go to overtime. End of first overtime, please don't go to second overtime. And then at that point, I was like, you know what? I'm going to stop sitting here trying to clip highlights for the for Twitter. I just want to watch basketball. I want to see this game end, get finished, pull out a victory over Georgia Tech, beat an ACC opponent for the first time in program history, win at Tech for the first time since what? Officially since 1976, was it? Yeah. We were awake. I didn't need coffee. I didn't need caffeine. I didn't need anything. It was just basketball adrenaline. Okay, I can't say same because I work out at six o'clock in the morning, Um, but I did enjoy the game and stay awake for all of it. Um, You know, it, it I can't even say that it was a 
poorly played basketball games. Sometimes those log overtime games, you know, it gets kind of really sloppy there at the end, but it just felt like neither team wanted to take that final punch and could hit that final blow on the other. Um, but yeah, I absolutely stayed awake for all of it and was ready and excited about it. Um, you know, admittedly. So yeah, of course we had to record the pod and, uh, we had set out before we were going to record after the game. And obviously that's what doomed the game to go to four overtimes. <laughs> I will say the the funny thing is, you know, Jordan did mention that the dynamic of every time there was coming up to the end of a regulation, it was like, Oh, you know, come on, please. Someone make a shot. So this ends. And then got to the end of third overtime when Colin Moore had to hit two free throws or the game was going to be over. And then it was like, yeah, okay. Keep going. <laughs> You're good. Hit these free throws. But hey, they pulled it off. Panthers won and we recorded a podcast. We were all tired. I edited the podcast, uploaded it, queued up the posts, and I went to bed. It was it was a great day. And then uh, we had a good Thanksgiving time. and everything at redacted time. Yeah, sometime sometime late at night when uh, we, we had a good Thanksgiving and hope you guys did, too. All right, so thank you, Carlos, Sam, and Mike for your questions. And as always, if you want to be a part of our discussion every podcast, feel free to respond to our call for questions tweet or just add us, message us, whatever. I think the uh, the bit is always snail mail, carrier pigeon, smoke signals, et cetera. Just get in touch with us. We like talking to you guys, and we enjoy having you be a part of our podcast every week. But that's going to do it for us this week. Don't forget to visit croppertool.com and use code THURS at checkout if you want to get some great tools at good prices and support Thursday night along the way. But other than that, that's all we got this week. We will come at you again next week, hopefully talking about a win over the Charlotte 49ers in men's basketball and a little bit of other stuff as well. But that's all we got. Have a fantastic rest of your Thursday, and we'll catch you next time. The Thursday Night Podcast is a production of ThursdayNight.com, the independent source of choice for all things Georgia State sports. This podcast and all included sounds are exclusive property of and copyright 2019 Jordan Crawford Enterprises, LLC, on behalf of ThursdayNight.com, unless otherwise specified. The podcast is produced by Programming Director Brady Weiler and Technical Director Jordan Crawford, with assistance from co-hosts Taylor Dynan and David Salmon. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, as well as podcast aggregators like Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. To submit questions and comments, or to request information on advertising and corporate partnerships, contact the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as at Thursday Night, or via email at thursdaynight at gmail.com. 